Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Pearls and Politics Podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. Thank you so much for joining us today as we continue our series in the month of October on breast cancer and breast cancer awareness. Joining us again today is Dr. Kanisha Bryant. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming back and thank you for sharing more information and knowledge as it relates to breast cancer and breast cancer awareness. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here um, to be able to talk about, obviously, a topic that interests myself, but is so um, very important for women of all kind and especially black women. So thank you for having me again. Thank you. So we're going to uh, pivot a little bit, pivot um, to more of the medically substantive material regarding um, breast cancer and awareness. And so we would love for you to guide us through um, what you want us to know from early detection to what you have many times told me can lead to an early cure to monthly breast exams, the best time of the month and where, so in the shower or laying in bed, um, and then take us into, unfortunately, a diagnosis and um, give us some hope sure. in this month of October. So please. So I'd like to talk and start with breast cancer in terms of what it is and why we care so much about it. Breast cancer is the cancer that has the most funding. You'll hear about it the most because of the funding. And it also has the most, the most backed research behind it. And that's Excellent. because breast cancer is the leading cause of cancer of any kind in women. Okay, it beats out lung cancer, colorectal cancer, mm -hmm. and also other types of cancers. Um, breast cancer happens to be about the fourth leading cause of cancer death in all women. But in black women, it is the number one leading cause of cancer death. And so for me and myself in our community, we definitely want to bring about awareness um, and in terms of breast cancer awareness, where to start, what to look for, what screening is available, and what treatments may be available if one happens to come down with a diagnosis of breast cancer. Okay. So we always hear about mammograms. Yes. After the age of? 40. Okay. okay. So most women, and I say most, um, because there is a subset of women who will benefit from mammography earlier than the age of 40. But the average woman with no significant family history of breast cancer, okay, the average woman will be recommended to start having annual screening mammograms at age 40. Now, this is actually a controversial type topic. Um, the United States Preventative services task force actually admonished women to have mammograms starting at the age of 50 and to get them every other year. Yeah. However, those of us who treat breast cancer in the United States of America, um, in terms of the American Society of Breast Surgeons, the American College of Surgeons, and also the American College of Radiologists all recommend that we should start having mammograms at the age 40 and to have them annually. Okay. I know for, for me and, you know, my mother, mm -hmm. you know, moving forward, that is, um, I got my first mammogram at 39 because I thought I found something and um, 
thankfully it was nothing. But I am very, as you know, very conscientious about about I get on her nerves. I swear I do. I am very conscientious about my body and I can notice the slightest change in anything. But obviously um, I don't do what you do and have the knowledge that you have. So I'm unaware if it's a hormonal change because of my cycle. Um, and you have educated me on that many times. But I never will forget the time that it came back fine. And I said, or at least I thought in my mind, having a legal non-medical mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, Kanisha, in that moment, I can't go every time I feel something. Oh, boy, did I get in. She said, oh, yes, you will. And I was like, but how? I mean, how can I run? She, every time, you told me, every time if you see a change, if you feel a change, if you feel a lump, I don't care how frequent it is, every time you think there's an issue, I'm going to make sure you head to that doctor. So, again, it's it's challenging to hear that, you know, there are some schools of thought not to go, you know, well, until that's later. Different. Well, so screening in terms of having no symptoms is what I was speaking about with the mammograms and the, I would say, discrepancy and recommendation from certain um, task force and some some uh, school of thoughts that one should start at age 40 and the other is to start at age 50. Um, one thing I will say for black women is that the incidence of breast cancer in black women is often and has been known to be earlier than the average woman who gets breast cancer. So we certainly need to start at age 40. And also I'll say this, if you have a significant family history of breast cancer, and if you have someone in your family who has been diagnosed with an abnormal gene mutation that causes breast cancer, then certainly at the age of actually 25, you need to be assessed. Someone needs to say when you need to start having mammograms. And oftentimes that's actually earlier than the age of 40. So we go like we're supposed to, yes. starting at the age we're supposed to go mm -hmm. based on our assessment um, or our good family history, and there's something there. So if a mammogram identifies an abnormal area, a lot of times, the majority of times, they will call you back in for what we call a diagnostic mammogram. That's where they're going to hone into the area, magnify the view of that area, and make sure that there is nothing there. A lot of times, they'll do that and they'll add an ultrasound at the time of it and decide whether or not if something is actually there or if it was just another benign finding and you can continue on with your next annual screening mammogram. If they find something, then they may or may not recommend a biopsy. Sometimes what they find is actually benign and they may recommend that we just follow it up in six months, which is going to be sooner than the annual screening or the annual test, or we'll actually biopsy it. If they biopsy it, 80%, so most of the times of things that are biopsied, are going to be benign. 20% will unfortunately require a surgical procedure, and a small percentage of that will actually be cancer. Okay. So mammogram, something's there, mm -hmm. biopsy. 80% mm -hmm. of women undergoing a biopsy. Undergoing a biopsy will be, benign. It'll be benign. But then there's the 20%. Yes. So then what happens? Well, let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, let's say you actually do have a symptom. 
So what are the symptoms that what we're looking for in terms of, you know, something that may warrant you actually being checked out? Mm -hmm. If you have a new lump in your breast, and this is why I'm saying that I advocate for women to actually check their breasts once a month. Now, in terms of how we check our breasts, what studies have shown is that it's not necessarily important on the different ways that you check your breasts. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of schools of thought. You'll see people doing this action, then doing this action, doing this actually to feel your breasts and to make sure that they feel to you the same on a monthly basis is actually all that's needed. Now, there's a lot of schools of thought that think that all oh, women don't need to take their, check their own breasts and that it's not actually helpful. But of course, sitting in my shoes and staying, being in my office, there are plenty of women who find actual lumps that are concerning on a, a monthly screening exam, especially if they have a significant family history. So if you feel a new lump, you have to get that checked out. All right, number one. Number two, if you have abnormal, and what I say abnormal, if you have any discharge that comes out of your breast and you are not a nursing woman, that needs to be checked out especially if the discharge comes out on its own, or you notice some spotting in your bra or on your nightgown, or you feel wetness at any point in time, and you're not a recently, uh, recent nursing mother, then you need to be checked out. So nipple discharge is going to be a cause. That, that is a cause for concern. Um, the other thing is skin changes. If you notice any abnormal skin changes, or, okay. and, and rashes, if you know you've been sweating, you have what we call inframammary intertrigo underneath or sweat rash, that's different. But if you are noticing a skin change on your nipple particularly okay. or on the other skin of your breast that you just have no explanation for, that needs to be checked out as well. And so um, those are the three things that are going to warrant further investigation. What also is important is that on, I would say this, most women are going to, of age 40 and older, or even 25 and over, are going to see an OB-GYN. Mm -hmm. You need to have an, a clinical exam by your obstetrician or your primary care physician um, as often as they want to see you. So if it's an annual then you need to have your breast checked out at the annual exam. If you're a little bit older and you don't have a significant family history or an increased risk of breast cancer for any other reason, then if your OB-GYN has recommended that they see you every two years, your breasts need to be examined during that visit. So a clinical exam is key as well by a medical professional. I think that's very, um, what you just said was very important because again, when, like we spoke of in a previous episode, you think breast health, October, you think cancer. And also, we often think lump. Like that's the only thing we think about. Oh, if there's a lump. We don't think about discharge. We don't think about, you know, skin, ir you know, skin irregularities. And mm -hmm. so again, we're thankful for you coming on because again, we need to know that mm -hmm. because the average person has no idea that, well, you know what? that discharge could really be something serious. Mm -hmm. That rash could really be something serious. It's more than just a lump. And mm -hmm. so that's gonna save somebody's life because now they know, really there are three things that we should be looking for. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really, really good. So 
There's one thing that I didn't say, okay, and that is breast pain, okay? 90% of the time, if you're having breast pain, it is not associated with an actual breast cancer, okay? There is, you know, a particular pain that one might have, and this pain is a pain that is persistent. It does not change with a cycle. And for those uh, women who have, you know, gone through menopause, um, they are having persistent pain in their breasts that's all okay. of a sudden. That's lasting two or more weeks. That pain needs to be checked out by a medical professional, and you need to have diagnostic imaging for that pain. Now, the reason most of the time uh, women have breast pain is actually due to hormonal changes. That's the number one cause of breast pain, okay? It's going to be hormonal changes, changes in your cycle, which is cyclical pain. Then there's the pain of pregnancy. Um, which is oftentimes the first sign that a woman is pregnant is they start actually having breast pain. Mm -hmm. And then there's also pain that those of us who consume a, a bit too much caffeine will experience, <laughs> um, myself included, um, that will actually, it can actually be quite jarring, the pain that one might experience in their breast. If it goes away, and I'm not saying if it goes away and comes back, then, but if it actually goes away after a day or two and you're noticing that this is typically around the same time in your cycle, that pain is usually not noteworthy or caused by anything significant. Again, if pain is persistent for more than two weeks and is not intermittent, it is constant, and it is in one particular area of your breast, that pain needs to be checked out. Excellent. So then we get checked out. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, someone's in the 20%. Mm -hmm. Do they get a second opinion? Yes. Yeah. So in the breast community, that's what I'll call it, okay, we oftentimes welcome second opinions. Um, there's not going to be a whole lot of diversity in terms of what one treatment team may offer you um, compared to the next treatment team. But what we want for all women and all patients is to feel comfortable with their treatment plan and their treatment team. You can be comfortable with the plan, but not be comfortable, comfortable with, with the, the team, team okay? <laughs> and if that is yes, the case, then I admonish you to go elsewhere to the place where you feel comfortable. Also, you have to be heard, okay? If they're not listening to you, mm -hmm. um, if they're not addressing your concerns, that all, that's just, that's, you know, kind of common sense you need to find someone who you feel comfortable with who is addressing all of the issues that you bring to them okay and you find your team you do you're you're comfortable you've gotten your second opinion mm -hmm. and there's there's a plan yes. so talk us through now she has a plan okay so the first part of any uh, breast cancer diagnosis is once you have the diagnosis there's further workup to be done so oftentimes there'll be more testing even after you've had the biopsy and someone has told you the diagnosis there's going to be some more testing we're going to be finding out as much information as possible this is where waiting can become quite um anxiety well, i'll call it anxiety producing and um, cause a lot of women angst and discomfort. Um, 
But what we do know is that breast cancer is not spreading as we speak. It's not multiplying and duplicating and going all over your body. The, the best thing is for t you to allow your team to gather as much information as possible, make a plan, make sure you're comfortable with the plan, and then execute it, okay? So sometimes that can be anywhere from four weeks after your diagnosis to even eight weeks before treatment is started. We'd like to, for it to be sooner than that, if at all possible, but I gave the longest range because oftentimes that's where patients end up getting their first point of care, maybe, you know, four weeks after that abnormal mammogram. A lot of time, is it ever a situation where they just, they put it off? Yes. Because they can't handle the diagnosis. And yes. how do you care for someone in a situation like that? Oh, we become actually medical bullies at that point. And it's lovingly, but it is very much so a persistence that we won't let up on. We're calling you. We're calling you morning, noon, and night. We're asking you to go get opinions from other people because obviously you're not comfortable with what the plan is um, in some instances. You know, as long as the patient has given us permission to reach out and talk to family members, bring family members to your consultations so that they are hearing the information with you. And one thing I want to say right there just made something come to my mind. Um, you know, having a diagnosis and being told you have cancer of any kind is quite jarring. And a lot of time, especially if that person is heavily dependent on by family and friends, they're going to isolate and kind of um, seclude themselves. And what I'm saying is I need for everyone to at least have one somebody in their life where they are sharing the information as they get it and to actually have that person that they care about, oftentimes that's a spouse, sometimes that's a sibling, sometimes that's a parent, sometimes it's a friend, to come with you to your consultation so that someone else's ears are hearing the same things that you're hearing. Then once you have a plan in place, then at that point is when I would say it's okay to then now share maybe with other family members. Because a lot of times, if you don't have the information yourself, you're not going to be able to share anything with those family members, and they're going to bombard the patients with questions, and that causes another level of anxiety as well. Absolutely. So now everybody has anxiety, and we don't know what's going to happen yet. So I tell most of my patients, you know, it's good to have at least one someone with you. Mm -hmm. And... You know, they hear the plan. They can go through the plan of action with you going, you know, sometimes accompanying you with the testing and further testing and other appointments you may have. And then at that point, once the plan is in place, you can go ahead and share that with other family members, you know, and feel comfortable. And now you're able to answer their questions about what happens next. And, you know, everybody has some information. Um, that's what I would recommend for most patients, to share after that point. Once you've actually kind of, you know, started your treatment plan, and maybe even, and maybe even on the backside of it, now I need you to share that information with extended family members because it matters, okay? Letting other family members know that you have a diagnosis is key, even if they're a distant cousin. They need to know. And so... I don't think it's prudent for you to just go blasting. I have 
you know, breast cancer all out over to the family. But by word of mouth and in conversation, especially, you know, not to, you know, be a Debbie Downer at family gatherings or anything like that. But at some point, you may say to these family members directly, or you may say to uh, even family members who are closer, or tell your family or tell your sisters, and, and you know, I'll talk to them at some point, but let you can let them know that I have been diagnosed with breast cancer for their own personal family history. That's very important. Very much so. Because I'm thinking, well, I'm sure a lot of people have a hard time sharing because, again, so many people rely on them and there's so many, oh, there's work and there's children. But what you just said is, again, because we're not you, we don't think about that. You need to know because you're in my family. And then that's information that you can then arm yourself with to make sure that you're making the right decisions for yourself. You may not have, we before that may have had no family history of it. So then I need to go back at my next doctor's appointment and tell my healthcare provider so then that can be noted in my chart. And then maybe it will make a difference, or but only my provider would be able to say, oh, that's your you know fifth cousin on you know, your father's further side, that's not really an issue. But if it's your first cousin, and your moms are sisters, that's a huge deal. Definitely. So that is very important to know. Um, so when you talk about treatment, is it always surgery? So your breast cancer treatment plan will be a very specific plan for you, okay? And here's where we run into a little bit of a problem as practitioners. Someone will say, well, my friend only had to do xyz can i just do that or they did treatment plans in a certain order can i just do that your plan is going to be very specific and curtailed towards you and your specific cancer type so you would then by saying so it's not always surgery so breast cancer treatments may include surgery chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and endocrine therapy. We used to call that hormonal therapy. Okay. Um, now we have other um, immunotherapies that we can add to someone's treatment plan as well. The good prognosis or good outcomes that we get from breast cancer treatments are based on you having all of the recommended treatments that are re that are for you, okay? If you're a candidate for a certain treatment, you're gonna be offered that treatment. If you're not, you won't be. Um, sometimes, and you know, you know, you'll get patients who will omit certain parts of their treatment. Once you start omitting some of them, then we don't have um, particular data on what may happen in regards to someone's prognosis if you start omitting some, some of these treatments because each of these treatments are treatments in their own right for breast cancer, meaning that if you need surgery, you need surgery. That does not mean you don't need chemotherapy or you won't need radiation therapy or you won't have to take endocrine therapy. All of them will still be necessary. And as a surgeon, I oftentimes get the question, well, if you removed everything and you got it all out, why must I then have to go through these other treatments? Excellent question. And the reason for the other treatments is the best reason that I can give without going down a medical pathway with a whole lot of medical jargon. 
is this. Breast cancer, even at its earliest stage, is located just in the breast. But we, as medical treatment teams, never treat breast cancer solely. I won't say never, but most of the time, treat breast cancer as what we call a systemic disease, where we are treating the entire body as if we are treating body for cancer, although your staging may, may implicate that your breast cancer is only located in your breast. What we found is that if we extend these treatments after surgery is performed, sometimes before surgery is performed, then your prognosis and survival, as well as your disease-free survival, meaning your chances for recurrence, are significantly reduced wow. when you have the other treatments. Wow. So I have to say to most patients and all patients with invasive cancer, cutting it out only is never the treatment plan, okay? And that's what I do. That is never for all invasive cancers, and I'm going to notice that I'm saying invasive cancer, okay? Cutting by itself is never the only treat, treatment. And you talk about cutting. Mm -hmm. I know um, as women, we, there are many things about us in our minds and emotionally that make us women. Yes. Right? Well, our uterus, you know, we, we don't like hysterectomies and things. Mm -hmm. our, our breasts, mm -hmm. so the mastectomy is an issue. Our hair, we don't like. So all of those things aside from obviously the hysterectomy, can often come into play when it comes to a breast cancer diagnosis. Yes. How do you and your team, or who are the players in your team that assist women because, well, she doesn't want to lose her breast, but you want to live. Exactly. And well, my hair, oh, I don't want to lose my hair. So how do you all navigate the emotional side of a woman when she's struggling with the things that she may lose, though it may be temporary. Mm -hmm. how, how do you all deal with that? So most of the time, and I'll say this, um, because in America here we have multidisciplinary treatment teams, and that team often consists of um, surgical specialists like myself um, and also plastic surgeons or reconstructive surgeons. And what we try and offer women um, myself as a breast surgeon, there are certain techniques that we can do to try to minimize scarring so that even after your diagnosis and treatment, you're not constantly reminded that, you know, you have gone through what you've, what you've gone through and experienced. Um, we have different treatment techniques. I'm certified in hidden scar techniques um, where I've learned to hide the scars in areas that are not obvious on the breast. And then there's also our plastic and re reconstructive surgeons who offer women most of the time um, who want to have our, you know, um, reconstructed breasts after a mastectomy has been recommended to where we are often, oftentimes able to recreate the breast mound um, with as much skin and possibly a nipple intact and making our best. We're not like God, so it won't be like God's creation, but we are recreating a breast in what we would call an aesthetically pleasing um, way. That's awesome, because I know we've talked through the years about your uh, hidden scar certification and also, you know, reconstruction. So does that include implants? That definitely includes implants. Um, there's 
two major ways in which most plastic and reconstructive surgeons will offer what we call breast reconstruction. The first and, and most widely available and um, chosen, or, or I say, I say chosen because most patients actually opt to have implant reconstruction. Um, that's a staged process. And most of the time it started at the time of their initial surgery with a mastectomy. Okay. And then there will be um, sometimes um, later procedures that are necessary to get the final um, product or the fi final outcome that's desired. Um, other times. Um, Implants. Oh, so okay, we talked about implants. Okay, other times one may be a candidate, and you have to qualify for this, um, for the plastic surgeon to use your own tissue. Sometimes that's an abdominal muscle and fat tissue transfer or flap. Um, that's also, amazing. Also, um, the latissimus flap, or using your back muscle may be used. Um, and, you know, after... And, and there may be a combination of your own tissues as well as implant reconstruction that may be offered to you. The advancements in medicine just boggle my mind, just thinking that you said, well, it doesn't always have to be, you know, an implant. We can actually use other things that can simulate, you know, your prior breast structure that's, you know, from your own body. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. But but the fact that even the possibility or the realm of possibility exists just to see where breast cancer and reconstruction has gone 20 years ago to where it is today is just really amazing. And while we're talking about implants, we had a question okay. that someone asked in terms of um, breast cancer detection and, and staying healthy with implants. So is there is it harder to have implants and then detection and, and making sure that you're doing everything that you need to is your ma mammogram harder like how does that work for a woman who has implants okay so um, mammography is no harder or the diagnosis of breast cancer in in terms of screening and imaging is not harder because you have implants in place uh, oftentimes implants are placed underneath one's muscles, so it's okay. protruding your actual breast tissue further out than would normally than where it would normally sit. Other times it's placed right behind the breast tissue and in between the breast tissue and your chest wall. So again, actually protruding the majority of breast tissue. Most of the time, women with implants, if they are um, diagnosed with breast cancer, it's still picked up with mammography. Um, and also, um, if they're going to develop a lump, it's usually on top of the implant, and the implant may have brought the lump out to be palpable a lot sooner than had it not been there. So that's just a myth that's been dispelled that implants may cause one to not be able to diagnose breast cancer as easily as we could without implants. And there are men who unfortunately are diagnosed and are your patients as well, because we have obviously uh, many women that watch and listen to us, but those women are oftentimes connected to men, husbands, yes. sons, and things of that nature. And we also have some gentlemen that we greatly appreciate that watch our, um, our watch and listen to our podcast. So is that really a thing? 
for men to develop breast cancer. Yes, absolutely. Um, approximately uh, about 5,000, well, I'd say this year, probably somewhere around, you know, 4,000 men a year in America will develop breast cancer. Now, what we don't have is an annual screening, you know, test for men to, you know, to screen for breast cancer. But for women who have men in their family who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, they have abnormal gene mutations, the men in the, in the families should be tested as well. And okay. if they are found to harbor um, genes that cause breast cancer, then there's no, still no recommended annual screening for them, but to, for them to be breast, what we call health aware, okay, okay. or conscious, um, so that they are paying attention. Now, I said that for the men who have, you know, a significant amount of breast cancer that run in the females in their family, but if you're a man and you feel in a, a lump in your chest or breast, um, that needs to be checked out 100% of the time. So we've talked about the whole process, mm -hmm. and now we're to the point that a man or a woman has um, had their mastectomy, they're going through, or whatever treatment that you've suggested, and they've completed treatment. What's next? Like, where does the all clear come from? Where does the we need to keep fighting come from? Um, once the plan is completed? So um, for women who have localized breast cancer to their breast and even the region of breast and lymph nodes, once the surgery is complete, the cancer is out, meaning the cancer has been removed. Um, you may have those additional treatments that we recommend, that we recommend you undergo. Um, after you have your treatment, which I will say breast cancer treatment typically runs anywhere from six months to one year okay. on most occasions. Okay, okay. Well, that's what we call the active treatment of breast cancer. You will certainly have follow-ups and close follow-ups um, for at least five years. Okay, and after that five, those five years of survival, that your chances of breast cancer recurring has significantly dropped. Okay, so it's not that even after that you'll still have your annual screenings if you if your breasts are still intact, meaning you haven't had mastectomies, you'll still have an annual screening mammogram and any other recommended imaging for you particularly. But um, we would say survivorship is, is key and it's going to be a part of all multidisciplinary team. We care about you after we're done doing whatever treatments your cancer required. So we care about your mental health. So we're oftentimes, um, women help will, you know, trudge right through and get it done and get all of the treatments done and they're done. And then oftentimes it's kind of a delayed reaction where it's a year later and now they're dealing with all of the emotional trauma mm -hmm. that comes with what they've gone through. And at that point, we may make referrals to uh, mental health specialists and oftentimes offer survivor uh, groups and uh, wellness houses where women can find support mm -hmm. 
with other women and, you know, oftentimes other specialists that care about everything that they've gone through. Um, and then sometimes you may find these, these places if you're having a lot of emotional um, and mental health issues during the process of treatment, which may happen as well, then you can reach out. There's these resources for you to reach out to and that may actually be recommended for you to see um, during your treatment and during your care. Um, that may add a, a, a valuable support system for you. Survivors who've gone through, they can tell you what the process is like. They can give you a lot of information about what to expect, what not to expect, and just be there for you while you're going through it. So, so uh, holistic care. Yes, that's what I'm hearing, and I think that's so amazing because we are whole people. I know yes. that sounds cliche or it sounds kind of like well that's common sense but for a lot of people it's not so many of us don't me included don't always take the best care of ourselves because like we've discussed you know you're a mom you're a professional you have so many people depending on you that so many times we allow ourselves mm -hmm. to not get screened we allow ourselves to not go for annual checkups we and then it's it's an issue you know, that's when we address it, when it's an issue. And that's what we want people to understand, that we want to address it before it's an issue. We don't ever want it to become an issue. So that's why we need to do all the things, drink our water and exercise and have a proper diet, all the things that we are so bad at doing. But when you know better, you do better, or mm -hmm. you're supposed to. And that's the whole purpose of the platform and having wonderful professionals like you come on and address. So if there was one thing that you wanted us to know, what would it be as we close? What does Dr. Bryant want us to know? Please do this. If you don't take anything else from what I'm saying to you in this series, please do this. So um, the one thing that I want everyone to do be it that you're a man, you're a woman, you're any, you know, in any, at any stage in your life and you're watching us today. Like I said, it's about awareness. So mm -hmm. if you have family members, friends, just bring it up. It's October, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, have you had your mammograms? <laughs> Do you get mammograms? Do you check yourself? We want to know, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you should, especially if you're a survivor yourself. Mm -hmm. Ask your family members if they're staying on top of, oh, don't, don't, did you get by? It's October. And even if your mammogram is not in October, it's going to be annual. You know, as long as they know, no, my mammograms are every June. Yes, that's what mm -hmm. we're, we're, and I want to say one thing, you know, you know, I talked about the disparity in, in, in mortality rates among black women because it is um, the leading cause of cancer death in black women. And unfortunately, there, uh, maybe I haven't said it, it, there is a disparity in terms of the mortality rate in black women who are treated and our white counterparts. Unfortunately, the mortality rate in black women is 43% higher than it is in our white counterparts. And we actually 
you know, are trying to figure out the reasons for the huge disparity in survival. And the first thing is that I, I want to just kind of dispel a few myths, okay? The first thing is that the tumor biology in black women tends to be sometimes more aggressive, okay? And so that's where those other treatment, you know, mm -hmm. other treatment modalities outside of surgery come into play. Um, we used to think that maybe we weren't being screened as, as much as our white counterparts, but that's not true. In most recent times, pre-COVID, um, the incidence of screening, or to say it like that, but uh, the screening rates in black women actually match that of our other ethnic group and races. So that's not it. We are doing what we're supposed to do in terms of going to get our mammograms. Um, other things is that, that we notice as a medical professional and healthcare professional, I won't deny it, is that there are actual treatment disparities that may occur. So this may lead to um, some of the mortality deaths. Um, and also omitting treatments, um, you know, omitting other therapies and not undergoing surgeries um, or not undergoing surgeries that are recommended or treatments that are recommended may contribute to this disparity. Again, there's not one causal factor that we found, um, but we do know that these things exist. And unfortunately, Black women are diagnosed, um, mean it, at earlier ages, and that earlier age t oftentimes, you know, coincides with a more aggressive type of breast cancer, as well as we are diagnosed at later stages than our other ethnic group and race counterparts. So, for us, is you know, that's why I thank you for having this platform because if we can bring about awareness. You know, and if we can find breast cancer at the early stages of zero, one, and two with screening mammograms, mm -hmm. that's going to be key, okay? Mm -hmm. um, if you have family, significant family history, you need to have the assessment. So have the assessment. If you need genetic testing, you know, fight for your genetic testing. You know that someone in your family has a gene for it. You need to have that testing. And, um, you know, of course, don't go forget your screening, okay? Check yourself on a regular basis, doesn't matter how, but check yourself on a monthly basis the same way, the same day. And that's what I'm going to leave in with. Thank you. Well, thank you again. This has been an amazing series of episodes with you. Again, we can't thank you enough um, as a best friend, as uh, your family and everyone. We appreciate all that you do and may God continue to bless you and your practice. And uh, thank you so much. And I know you'll come back. I don't, I don't have to ask <laughs> her if she'll come back. Thank you for having me. But thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in today to Pearls and Politics Podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you will join us again next week. In the meantime, please like, love, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.